0: The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com. So near the end of 2021, when Omicron was like taking a sweep through the U.S., and we were all just in this slump, like, here we go again, this crazy little thing emerged. It was like, out of nowhere, people started posting these little green and yellow and gray boxes all over their social media blowing up our social media feeds. We complained about you all to our friends that weren't doing it. (laughs) And making us feel like we were missing some kind of inside joke or we weren't in the cool kids club. And so feeling embarrassed, but not just asking somebody posting it, what was going on. You know, of course we don't ask. We go to Google and um, like, what is this thing? Um, Green boxes (laughs) in Google. And what comes up is this game called Wordle. And within a week, maybe two weeks at the most, America was addicted to this game and the New York Times had to acquire it and SNL was doing sketches about it and social media just revolved around this game. This, this game meets social media phenomenon is what it was. Five-letter words, six chances to guess and deduce what the word of the day was, and then like 14 to 16, or 24 out, 23 hours, 23 hours and 59 minutes, waiting for the next wordle to come out. <laughs> and so on a macro level, America had found the thing that would get us mentally and emotionally and psychologically through Omicron: wordle. But zoom in on a micro level, zoom all the way in, like you're like in Google Maps, and you get down to the Street View, and zoom all the way down to 22306, and then all the way down to Brick Hearth Court, and you'll find a pastor, her name's Michelle, who immediately said, oh, I really, really, really hope this thing stays relevant long enough for me to do a sermon series on it. (laughs) I prayed and God has answered my prayer, people still post Wordle on their Facebook statuses. So it was perfect timing because we had just finished a sermon series called Ask Me Anything, where you all had submitted like 50 plus questions asking me all your questions about faith and I realized that you all had a heck of a lot of questions about the nature and value of the Bible. Like, majority of the questions were about that. And so a sermon series emerges, and you have waited, and here it is. Yay! Uh, The Bible, it is a bit of a wordle in itself. I'm, you know, I'm trying to make this fit, y'all, so I'm just saying. (laughs) Stay with me. It's a puzzle, and it's compelling, and it's intriguing, and even more often, it is frustrating. It's like this frustrating word game through this story that we are told is supposed to change everything, right? While Christian denominations continue to experience deep division over many social issues, the underlying debate isn't ever really that issue itself in the church. It's Instead, about how we understand the nature of scripture and its interpretation. The reality is that the world's best-selling, most-read, most-loved book is also one of the most puzzling. And so we are going to begin a sermon series where, again, you're welcome, I came up with not only six, seven words that are five letters long that that (laughs) that go with your questions. Um, This was a lot of effort on my part, um, but I I wanted to make it fit. And today we kick off this series with not a word. We're not going to do one of the five letter words today. Today we are just going to intro this. I'm gonna give you kind of a way into this. And we are going to get into this through the story that we read in Acts 2. Today is Pentecost. And it's appropriate, did you hear what happened in that story? The spirit descends on the day of Pentecost. It's like a rushing wind and fire descends on, on the tongues of people and, and Peter who, God bless him, if you were here for our Enneagram series would 100% be a three, um, is gotta get up on a seat and make a sermon about what is going on here. He has to say something. I have to speak on this, I am the authority. And he gets up and he says that Jesus, this is what he is doing now. He's doing this now, rushing wind and fire from heaven. And they say, well, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do for this? And he says, go confess your sins be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, for the promise for you and for your your children is, is for all, everyone. It's the same promise for everyone. And he testifies with many arguments and exhortations. Peter always has a dissertation when he preaches and he says, so save yourselves. And they say, well, that still doesn't tell us what we're supposed to do. Okay, this feels very ethereal, very uh, uh, supernatural, but what are we supposed to do on a basic level? Imagine tongues of fire, wind rushing through, crowds completely just filling the streets and in total chaos. And what do the people of God do when the Spirit descends? Do they rush to the temple? No. Do they like hold a parade? No. Do they start boycotting the empire, picketing the empire? No. It says they do four things. They devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, to prayers and to community. They devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles. So this is the very first moment in the church where we realize that the people called the church read something that we now call the Bible, and that this is supposed to be the foundation of the spirit among them. And so throughout this series, we are going to answer the question. Basically, each week we'll have a different question we will handle things like who wrote it, and um, actually I'll, we're gonna do like why these books, like what is the canon, who wrote it and what for, by whose authority is it. Every week we say things like the word of God for the people of God. Um, is it the word of God? Uh, how do we make sense of all the moral dilemmas in scripture? What is real? Whose word can we trust? And then in the end, we'll, we will sum it up with a, so how do I read this, knowing all of this that, you have, that you've told me? And so in this, this series, through these questions, we are going to answer the predominant question, what is this book? What is this? But today, today I think it's important that we start with the opposite question. What is this book not? So that's the intro into it today. What is this not? I will not answer for you what it is yet. If I were to pull the room and ask each of you, um, like, what is it that you think this book is? And I know it because I've heard you all say it. Many of you have said something like, it's like a, an owner's manual for being a Christian. Have you heard something like that before? It's like an owner's manual for Christianity. Well, um, I brought with me my Honda Fit owner's manual. (laughs) Let's see what's in it. So at the very beginning, there is a table of contents that starts with like basic safety features of the car. And then it moves on to how to operate this vehicle. And then how to do like routine maintenance on the vehicle. And then near the end, there's a section in the back called troubleshooting. And so after looking at the owner's manual this week for my Honda Fit, I I turned to the Bible and I start to wish it was written like my Honda Fit owner's manual. (laughs) But instead of a table of contents, it begins with stories of these people who lived in the ancient Near East thousands of years ago, and then it's followed up by poetry. And then there's a section of some fiery prophets warning about the wrath of Assyrian and Babylonian empires. Oh, and the next after that are the Gospels, telling us the stories about what Jesus said and did about his crucifixion and resurrection, which are followed up by 21 letters written by people who are called the apostles to Christians living in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. And then finally, it does not have a section called troubleshooting. Instead, it has the Book of Revelation, (laughs) which stories the multi-headed beasts and dragons, right? And so I've been told or assumed many times throughout my life that this book is just like an owner's manual for Christian faith. But it's not anything like any owner's manual I've ever seen before. So sometimes I wish it was, but it's not. In addition to owner's manual description, I often, I've seen this. You tell me if you've seen this. The... B-I-B-L-E. Yeah. That's a vote for me. Thank you. (laughs) And as anybody, did anyone ever tell you that this stand for something? No? It's like, you know, Delta, you know, do not expect luggage to arrive. Ford, like (laughs) fix or repair daily. The Bible, there is one. Did anybody? Thank you, I'm so glad that you are here. (laughs) Basic instructions before leaving Earth. So as we already started to establish and will come to understand throughout this series, the Bible isn't basic. The people who taught you that might be. (laughs) Nor is it just simple instructions for what to do before you die. Maybe you haven't heard it described this way, but um, some people more treat the Bible this way than call it this. They treat it more like, like an, a magic eight ball. If you were a 90s kid, picture it. This black round ball that looked a lot like, like a, a billiard ball except a little bit larger. And on the bottom is this glass window. And inside there is this mysterious blue liquid and dye with 20 sides on it, with different sayings. Now, I know you were just like me, and you wanted desperately to know if Tyler McLeod would hold your hand one day. And so you closed your eyes, and you shook it really hard, and then you turned it over, and you really hoped it would say, signs point to yes, right? Whatever those were. But instead it said, your future is unknown, or something like that. The strange thing is that that many people treat the Bible like this. We ask God, like, God, I hate my job. Should I should I quit my job, God? <laughs> and then you open up the Bible and it says something like, He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, and Siron like a young wild ox. <laughs> And so what you're saying, God, is that I should move into an industry of livestock. Um, And so just like some treat it like a magic eight ball, others take it even more seriously and expect the Bible to be this book of systematic theology, carefully laying out the doctrine and dogma of Christianity. Again, the Bible is not a textbook and you'll be, you'll be hard-pressed to find in this book any doctrine carefully spelled out. Try looking for an explanation of the Trinity in Scripture. It doesn't exist. Try searching for a comprehensive explanation of atonement theories. It does not support any particular one. How is it that Jesus is both human and divine? It does not tell you that in the scriptures. Even a chapter giving a complete explanation about baptism maybe, so we could stop this, you know, baby versus believer nonsense. We don't have it. We have nothing like that, but it's, it's not there. I once was a chaperone for this youth rally where someone on stage said, there is only one eyewitness account for creation, and it is found in Genesis 1 and 2. God knows what he did, he told us in his word, and God does not lie. And so for this guy at least, Genesis 1 and 2 contain an eyewitness account of what happened at the dawn of creation dictated by God to Moses and therefore the most accurate account upon which all scientific theories must fall. And so instead of making it a theology textbook, this guy had made it into like a science textbook, right? And it's not, it is not a textbook. And if you read it like that, you'll realize that it doesn't read like a textbook at all. Even its creation account don't read like a textbook. In fact, the creation accounts contradict each other. The Bible is not an owner's manual. It's not basic instructions before you die. It's not a magic eight ball. It is not a textbook. We're gonna get to what it is next week. That's in the weeks to come, but there's one thing that I think we ought to make clear. One more thing that it is not. And this is the thing that's probably the hardest for us to untangle from the Bible we want it to desperately be this. Often we read the Bible as a, a book of promises from God. Several years ago there was a woman who had come to our church for some time and she had gone to church most of her life and she had attended many Bible studies and many women's groups, and, but now her son was very ill and there were no answers for why her son was so ill. Tests upon inconclusive tests. And she was sure that if she just clung to God's word, if she she could just stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, she would be able to trust the promises of God, and, and he would be okay, and she would be okay. And so she clung to verses like Psalm 91.3, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. And like James 5.14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church together and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And, And prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. She clung to those promises and then her son died. And that woman will never in her life ever return to church again because this book now feels like a list of broken promises for her and God's people, just peddlers of some fraud here, right? The Bible is not an owner's manual, it's not a set of instructions before you die, it's not a magic eight ball, it's not a textbook, and it's not a book of promises from God. Each of these, if, if the Bible is read through these lenses, it. It has the risk of at some point massively confusing us at best, misguiding us, leaving us completely disappointed or doing massive harm to people. (laughs) And it has for a long time. Um, So we are not going to do that. But instead, we are though here at Kingstown going to be like the people in in Acts, who the Spirit had descended, they experienced God, they could feel God's presence in their midst, and they decided to sit down and read God's Word together because they knew that that was the best way that they could experience God's Spirit among them. That's what we do at Kingstown. You will notice that. Um, While we'll wrestle with what it is, I will never, um, I will never say that it's not life. It is, it's what we read here, it is what we base our faith on, it is scripture is primary. And then we use our experience, tradition, and, and, and reason to understand what it means for us. Would you pray with me? God, if I were to survey this room, I know that the majority of people here would not really call themselves Bible readers. And Perhaps it's because of the wrestling with all these things that we don't make sense of. But also maybe, God, it's just because. Because if we we read it, we may actually have to do something with it. If we pick it up once, we may feel the guilt of not picking it up again. And so we ask this this series that you would not just teach us intellectually, because we like intellectualism here at Kingstown, God, but you wouldn't just teach us and and engage our brains. You would would engage our hearts so that we would be people like the the people in Acts who are filled with, with your spirit and just don't, can't do anything other than want to read the goodness of your word for our lives. Want to read it, want to pray it, want to know what it means as it relates to our values and the world. Want to not just denounce it as irrelevant or antiquated, but find life in it. I pray, God, that that would be what happens for the next six weeks. We join together in that prayer that you taught us to pray and is deeply in Scripture so that we might remember it and pray it all the way even now. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Of Thank you love the